Before we jump into our text for the day, I'd like to start with the curious case of King Saul. The curious case of King Saul. Maybe I'll remember the story of King Saul. This was uh, during the time uh, the children of Israel were calling out for a king. They were no longer satisfied just wandering around in the wilderness. They weren't satisfied with uh, having a nation and just letting God be king, but they wanted someone they could see who could, who could speak to them, that could uh, bring about some action, uh, someone who would be like the other nations. And so um, God sends his prophet on a search for this king. So he goes and chases down uh, by God's direction uh, a man by the name of Saul. Now Saul is uh, a giant of a man. He, he's uh, bigger than, he's a head uh, uh, taller than everyone else. So he's not easy to be missed. But as Samuel is looking for him, God uh, has him chase down Saul and Saul is with the prophets. He's in like a band of prophets and they're the merry men of, of Saul and they're walking around and they're prophesying and they're doing all these great spiritual things. And so it would appear, not only does he have like the attributes, the physical attributes of being a king, but he also has kind of these spiritual, powerful kind of attributes to be a good king as well. And so Samuel uh, ha- lets Saul know that he is going to be the king. And so he becomes king. One of the first things that Saul does is he unites the people together and they fight these great, glorious battles. And instead of being oppressed, now they are winning again. And so he is not just uh, looking good on the outside. He also has this spiritual strength, the gift of administration and leadership and charisma, and people follow him into victory. And so as you know of the story of Saul, he serves as king for uh, a time, but that time, it, it doesn't take long before things get rocky for Saul. Saul uh, then leads out, he's getting ready to go into to battle again, and Samuel says to him, the word of God to you is, wait for me, Samuel, to come and offer sacrifice before you go and fight. But Samuel, Saul couldn't wait. And so he went into battle, and, and when he came back, Saul found him. Samuel found him. As Saul was encouraged when he went into battle that he was not to take any, uh, uh, take any of the, the proceeds from the battle, the plunder from the battle. But Samuel hears, ah. What's that? And Saul says, Saul says, look, the men really were pressing me. And so I let them have some of the plunder so they could sacrifice to God. You're very spiritual. Right? So he, he begins to balance. He says, the, the, uh, the end justifies the means. Oh, I'll placate God by giving him his sacrifice. But, but Samuel says, God doesn't want your sacrifice. What he wants is your obedience. So we see that Saul begins a downward spiral. And, and, and we, 
we enter in a new character into this story, a guy by the name of David, right? And so Saul has this servant, David, who comes and plays music for him because he's oftentimes taken by evil spirits. And so as much as David is able to calm him, sometimes he just gets a little bit crazy, and at one point he throws a spear and kills his music, tries to kill his musician, right? And this begins a, a downward spiral for Saul, where now he hears that David has been anointed king, and he chases and tries to kill David. And he ends up even massacring the priests of Nob, as he believes they have helped David. Curious and tragic case of King Saul. His end was definitely tragic. But interwoven in that story is the story of David, right? He too is a king, but he's a king that is chosen not because of what he looks like on the outside, because God tells Samuel that man looks on the outside but God looks at the heart. And so David does some of these similar things. He leads his men into battle. He, is, uh, uh, he, he offers sacrifices. He is both this religious, this military leader. He's this great charismatic character. He's the one, of course, you know, who, th- who threw, threw the stone and, and killed Goliath. God's hand of blessings on him. But he also sins just like Saul, right? And so he is caught in a terrible sin. He, has, he, he sleeps with a woman of one of his generals and then has his general killed. But what is the response to David that David has? Well, when King Saul was in sin, Samuel came and spoke to him and told him, this is the way of God. And Saul's response was to try to some subterfuge, right? To, to look in a different direction, to figure out another way. But when David is confronted by the prophet Nathaniel, what does he do? He, he immediately begins to weep and mourn as he faces the consequences of his sin and repent before God. Two kings, two stories. What was inside? Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he has laid out what it means to be a, a participant in the kingdom of God. He has laid out what the blessed life is in the Beatitudes. This is good living. This is right kind of living. This is a, a blessed, blessed, not just that it's helpful to you as we think about blessed, but it means approved of God. And so he lays out this blessed kind of life. And he ends the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we are today. If you're just catching up with this, you have lots to watch and listen to uh, to catch up with where we are today. But we are in the, the last few verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he is now going to put it to us for sure. Last week, he was giving great clarity. This week, he will give clarity again and ask the question. We have to ask the question, are we on that road? Are we part of the kingdom? And Jesus is saying, let me just read it for you here in chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, these are terrible words. (laughs) I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many of y'all have, many of us have, have read this verse before, and every time you read it, don't you go, is that me? Right? When, when you're going to have a birthday party, <laughs> don't you like that transition? The best thing to have at a children's birthday party is a piñata. Am I right? I mean, how much more fun can you have to blindfold awkward children with awkward parents and give them a bat? (laughs) And, And the joy of that final knock when it all comes out and the kids still run and grab all of it while the person still has a blindfold and is still swinging the bat. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. But, you know, I went, to, I went to prepare for a birthday party like that, and I went to Fiesta, and I got a piñata. But you know what? It was pretty light when I bought the piñata. Have you ever bought a piñata before? It doesn't come with the candy. Did you know that? If you go to the dollar store and it has candy in it, you don't want it. Oh, by the way, those are the old piñatas. So can you imagine going, me going, and and throwing the piñata party, the birthday party, and the little guys are swinging like crazy, and they knock it open, and nothing comes out? It wouldn't be such a good party, right? What's the use, right? And this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way that people are. We, have the, we carry on the appearance, but there's nothing inside. And Jesus is dealing this, with this. That here are these religious leaders, and, and this is really focused at the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders are teaching this kind of kingdom life. And he's saying, you have the appearance, you have the pinata appearance, <laughs> but you're hollow on the inside. There's nothing there. So here are the objections. Jesus is going to give three objections, three signs of emptiness. There are those who say, Lord, Lord. So they, they, have, a, a, they have some kind of theology. They have some kind of, some kind of orthodoxy. They, they know, they have, they, are, they have a kind of belief. The second is that they are... Uh, they demonstrate kingdom work. And the third is they do or don't have a right relationship with the Lord. Jesus begins by addressing, there are those on that day who will say, Lord, Lord. And and this is just such a a terrifying, terrifying words from Jesus. (laughs) To think that you would come on the last day and all along you you had told other people, I'm a 
follower of Jesus Christ. And one day at judgment, he is going to welcome me with open arms. And then you come and Jesus says, I don't know you. Depart from me. And so you and I think to ourselves, I said Lord, Lord, right? And in fact, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven without having said Lord, Lord. But Jesus is saying here, you can have a sign, the appearance, appearance of faithfulness to me. You can have a right kind of knowledge of orthodox thinking, right kind of thinking, but be far from me. And so we know that we can duplicate those very same things. So we can think about the things that are common to the life of a a believer. Our baptism. So those who come to faith, the next step of faithfulness is to be baptized. And so we can look back at our baptism and we could, we could stand before Jesus and say, but I was baptized, right? Or as our kids say, baptized. And so we, we point to our baptism. Can a Christian point to their baptism as a sign of faithfulness? Yes. But if, we are, if our faith is in the baptism, look, Jesus, I got a certificate with my picture on it from the church. I, I, should be, I should be let in. I was a part of the kingdom. Even a, a weekly observance of taking communion, if your belief is in communion, it, if your belief is what happens at communion as, as the reason why you should be led into the kingdom of God, well, Jesus is going to say to you, depart from me. If, if membership in a church is, is the thing that shows that you are faithful, shows that you have a, an active relationship with Christ, then you're mistaken. If you believe that you, if you have well-framed theology, but no relationship with Christ, if you are, have a, a great kind of understanding of the scripture so that you can argue till you are blue in the face, yet you are not obedient to him. If you make great sacrifices, if you move in order to be in a different city so you can do ministry, but you aren't obedient to him, then you're mistaken. It's popular uh, even today for people to be extremely adept at apologetics. You know, apologetics are, are, are making reasons for the faith. And so you could make great reasons for the faith and be able to argue with anybody, but still be empty. There are those who spend a great deal of time studying prophetic teachings when is this going to happen? How does Egypt fit into the, with Russia? How does the, the Temple Mount? All these things and, and trying to understand the times and places and the people of the end times. And, and so they can become so overwhelmed with this and they see their work in these things as a proof of their salvation. Look, I care about the things that God cares about. Should the man and woman of God know about the prophetic teachings of the Bible? Yes. Should the man or woman of God uh, know apologetics? Yes. Oh, and in our strain too, uh, uh, 
a, 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 an immersion in Calvinism or in, and reformed thinking such that we have a library that we will show before the Lord one day of all the things that we know. And if that is our salvation, if that's what we're looking for as our hope, he'll say to us, depart from me. How does, the, how does the follower of Christ differ from that? Well, like David, the follower of Jesus examines himself and herself. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected, matured, completed. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Doesn't that make sense? Like if you're a follower after Jesus, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you go, ugh, I've messed up, but that's the way I want to go. Lord, please forgive me. That's the way I want to go. So we, we're careful not to say that it is, that you can't rely just on belief. But that belief in the biblical sense is not just a, a knowledge of something, but it is a, a faith, a trust in the things of God. That means we give our lives over to him. We just don't know material facts about Jesus. In James 1, 18 through 19, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my, my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It, we can't just have knowledge, but we have to have a faithfulness that goes with it. Jesus was saying of the religious people, although they had knowledge and wrong knowledge, but they were lawless. For Jesus to call the, the Pharisees lawless would be kind of like him saying, in modern terms saying, you know, you are just, you guys are just like terrorists. You're like MX6 gang members. You're, you're the Crips and the Bloods. You're the cartel members. You're the, the street gangs of Jerusalem. And they would have gone, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Jesus, saying, Jesus is saying that your sin is so profound, so terrible, that you are speaking one thing but doing another. They're, you're just thugs, religious thugs. And so who are we? Are we those who are faithful in following the precepts of God? Now, I'm not saying, and I want you to be sure, Jesus is not saying this. He is not saying, if you have faith plus works, then you enter into the kingdom of God. That's not good theology, is it? We enter into the, into the kingdom of God because of the grace of God. It is because we are in this desperate situation that we need a Savior who will change our minds and our hearts. And so he does that. He chooses us before the foundations of the world. 
And the book of Ephesians tells us that he then works in our heart, that Jesus has come to die, died and was resurrected so that he might cover us in the penalty of our sin and give us hope and life. And so he woos us to himself. We don't enter because of our faith, because of our good works. We enter because Jesus has changed our hearts. The Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. Now, for those who are walking in the kingdom, there is faith, belief, there is good works. That is what kingdom people look like. So today, as we listen to the words of Jesus, we have to ask this question. Am I a kingdom person or am I just an empty piñata that looks like one? Is there something inside of me? When you hear these words, does it stir your heart? Does it cause you to examine yourself? I want to tell you, you're not far from the kingdom. If if you can look at your life and you say, gosh, there's still some things that don't look like this kingdom, and I feel terrible about it, you're not far from the kingdom. In fact, that is the way of the people of God, to then come and confess and repent. So every Sunday, as we come before the Lord's Supper, we take a time to say, Lord, I'm sorry, to repent and receive his forgiveness again. This is the way of the people of God. Today, oftentimes people, they think that going to meetings, like this meeting here or or, or uh, community groups or, or whatever kind of meeting. The more meetings, the more, those are the things I can point to. Look, I am faithful to God because I did this thing. Or we, we look at uh, phenomena, things that God does in this, a great spiritual experience. There's a story I was reading about this week in which this man, he had this great spiritual experience, a real closeness to God where he did a great work through him. And so what he did is he went and wrote it down. And he, he did it, wrote it into, in his journal into to great length, so much so that he took it out of his journal and made a little book about it. And so he wrote on that book, the title of his little book was My Experience. And so he, would, he put it up in his study, and whenever someone would come over, he would take out the book and he would recite some of the things that he had learned at that time in his life. And so he did this over uh, several years and And then he kind of lost touch with his book. But then one day the pastor came over, a pastor at church that they were just going to be a part of. And so he says, oh, oh, honey, go upstairs and get my book, my experience book, out of the drawer. And it had been up in the attic, and you know how things are in the attic. And so she calls down and she says, honey, I'm sorry, but uh, your, my experience is, is moth-eaten. Isn't that the way sometimes our lives can be? Oh, well, I, I remember this one time. And we've been living on that one time. You know, God can manifest his presence through people that aren't even his. Amen. Danger. People, there, there are those who have prophetic abilities that, that are not because they are good people. There are people who can lead well. There are people who can serve well, but that doesn't mean that they are filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, we see in the New Testament, re- regularly the apostles are saying, having to rebuke 
spirits in people or, or having to call out those who, who, are, who are prophesying in Jesus' name, but they don't know Jesus. Be careful of your experiences. Religion can never take the place of actual obedience and the teachings of Jesus. The final thing Jesus says, do you have a relationship? Jesus says, depart from me for I do not know you. What is the thing that is supposed to fill the empty piñatas? Faith, submission, and a relationship with Jesus. So this causes us to pause. The true Christian, you should be disturbed today. The question that I want to ask, though, is, if Jesus is trying to make sure that we are not uh, basing our Christian walk on false assurances, where can we find real assurance? Wouldn't that be satisfying today? Before we say that, my prayer, and I think the words of Jesus today are to speak to those who are thought they were in the kingdom and called them to repentance so they might know what the true way is. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is this uh, beautiful picture of what it means for those who have gone from the darkness into light. And I'll close with it today. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, Self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. You can see assurance there. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will then see us and say, enter in, my good and faithful servant.